Well, good morning, everybody, and everybody watching at Montrose, and everybody who's still in bed because you forgot about the time change, and you're watching it at home this weekend, which I'm not mad at you because, to be honest, that's probably what I would have done, but welcome, and uh, I totally forgot about the time change. My alarm went off this morning, and I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm so tired, and it wasn't until I got in my truck because that clock doesn't move. I'm like, oh, that's right, the time change, and then I couldn't remember if it sprung forward or went back, so I was like, can I go back to bed? And then, so anyways, I'm here, and I'm glad you guys are here, and uh, you guys are probably morning people, so I hate you, uh, but we're just going to be together. Uh, I'm excited about a bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about here the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to launch into this series called All In, All Out, and uh, we're going to do some, some fun stuff. We're going we're gonna to talk about some of the, the unique passions uh, that God has given us as a church, and we're going to talk about how that shows up in your life individually, and then some of the ways that we've acted on that corporately. Um, and one of the one of those conversations is going to be in two weeks. And in two weeks, uh, one of our unique passions is discipleship through sports ministry, and so we do a lot of that. We would have hundreds of kids and hundreds and hundreds of adults that that would connect with us weekly, and we would do discipleship and then play basketball and other sports. That's what that big building is over there that we're building. That's a big athletic facility because we believe that we can triple uh, the, the number of people that we're discipling in that way. And so we made that decision a few years ago, obviously, and we've been building it. But what we want to do in about three weeks is we want to do a, a special floor signing. And so we'll do that on the week. Just come the weekend service. We'll organize the service for you in such a way you can get your kids. If you're over at Montrose, um, we'll organize it so you can get over to Jet Road and you can sign it there as well. And then if you're watching online, you just have to, you can sign your phone, I guess, if you want to, Sharpie it, but you probably want to come in and, uh, and be a part of that. But we're going to go over there and let you, let you see it some, and we're going to write some prayers on the floor and some names of folks that we hope God will reach through that. And then those will kind of be under that permanently. The, the, uh, the hardwood will come in. Uh, here in a couple months and be under there and just kind of a way for us to kind of semi-dedicate that space. It's not a space built for sports. It's a space built for discipleship. And so just asking the Lord to work through that. So that'll be fun. And, uh, and that's the last week in March. So kind of keep your eye on that. Uh, something fun's happening right now. Uh, we have a um, little over 100 high school students who are on a retreat and I thought it'd be good for us just to pray for them. So they've been out there all weekend. They're winding things up here like right now this morning. And uh, we just really know that God interacts with us in a special way in those settings. There's something about getting away and like putting the phone down and all that kind of stuff that gives you a unique attention uh, to God. So I'd like us just to pray for them and the adults who are uh, working with them and serving them and just ask God to use that time with them. So would you do that with me? Would you... Would you bow your heads for a minute? And let's, uh, why don't we just kind of take a deep breath and pause. The kids are in the nurseries and we're here. And so let's just uh, take a pause, say good morning to the Lord here for a second. And Jesus, we're just excited uh, to be together and excited to give our heart and our attention to you. And uh, excited and grateful that our high school students are doing that too. And Lord, thank you that they're willing to take a weekend out of their life and kind of give a, a special attention to you. And God, I just pray that you like honor that and bless that. 
I pray that you meet with them in a, in a unique way and you draw them close to you in a unique way. And uh, God, just deepen their relationship with you and with each other. Pray for the adult leaders, Lord, all those, those quiet conversations that happen informally, that those would be powerful and valuable. And you just work through that environment and work in, in that part of our church's life in a special way. And God, we ask that you do that for us too. Uh, we want to meet you and we want to hear from you and we want to respond to you. Uh, so I pray that you'll do that even in this service and in all of our gatherings, God, that you'll just meet us and draw us and help us to know your heart more and more. So love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, we're, we're kind of talking about some of these things that are unique to us as a church and, and we want... Uh, you to understand as well. And something interesting happens and has happened here at Grace. So at Grace, because we start so many churches and because of the last few years, COVID's been a thing, obviously, uh, what happens is there's always a lot of new folks at Grace Church. So some of you have been here for a long, long time. Uh, Many of us have only been here for a little bit. And that's always normal at Grace Church because every few years we'll start another, we call them campuses, but another church. And so if you've only been here, say, three or four years, you're a pretty normal person at Grace. But a lot of stuff happens in that three or four years, and we want you to be connected to it. And then for those of us who have been around for a while, we want to kind of reconnect to some of the things that we're passionate about. We believe God is kind of given to us and set before us, and we want you to, to tie into it. And one of, the, one of the metaphors God uses for the, the church is he uses the metaphor of a family, right? So one of the things that's true about a family, you can be a part of a family, and you can have affection for the family, you can have like loyalty to the family, but it still takes you a minute to get your head around it. And until you get your head around like the family and what they're like and why they're like, you will always feel a little bit like you're on the outside looking in, right? I remember when Heidi and I first got married, we'll be married 30 years this summer, but I remember when we first got married, I felt that way. I made a decision, loved Heidi, loved her family, was connected to her, but like I wasn't around long enough to like have it be instinctual to me. So I kept like finding out weird things about her family. So I remember the first time we went to, uh, we had Thanksgiving as a married couple, um, I went, we went to her house and I would have gone to Thanksgiving with some pretty heavy preloaded expectations because at my house, uh, my mom was like pretty locked down when it came to Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm the youngest of five kids and so her children were kind of all over the country and when we came home for Thanksgiving, the expectation was you're in the house, you don't leave the house, you only spend time with family. So like I would come home from college for Thanksgiving and I didn't go see my college friends or my high school friends and hang out with people because mama Phyllis didn't like that. Like she, she would lock it down and she's like, you're not home that often. That's what she sounded like. She had an odd voice, but like she, she would kind of say that. And I just, that was the expectation. And I liked it. You know, I liked my family and, and I liked it. And I just thought that's the way that it was, but you would never have a stranger in the house you would never go anywhere because this is family time. So we went to Heidi's house, her mom and dad, and I probably had that expectation. Her family's smaller, so we're just there with her mom and dad and her brother and Heidi and I. That was it. 
And I was like, oh, this would be great. Like, we'll get to know each other more. I'm still trying to break into this groove a little bit. And I remember sitting down at the table and the doorbell rang and mom got up and, and got the door and then she came back with like these two strangers and they're like, they sat down at the dinner table with us. I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. I don't know these people. And so it was kind of like this quiet silence for a moment, which I cannot handle. So I'll start chit-chatting to make the pain go away. So I'm like, uh, you, guys, you guys come here often? What's your sign? You know, like just kind of anything to make it stop. And, and they were like real like elusive in their answers. They're like, yeah, we're kind of from around town and this and that. And I was like, I don't, I don't trust these people. They may be from Michigan. Like, I don't know what's going on with them. And mom said, she goes, well, they're from my Bible study. And I was like, okay, like Bible study people coming to Thanksgiving. So we, we had the meal and it was great. And these people, as we we're having the meal, they kept looking at the clock and like watching the time. And then they kept commenting on the time and I didn't know what was going on. And so finally the meal was over and they left and Heidi and I were like cleaning up. I was like, what's the deal with these people that were at Thanksgiving, and she's like, well, they're from mom's Bible study. I was like, yeah, but they're so weird. She goes, well, honey, she goes, mom leads the Bible study at the county jail. And I was like, oh. She's like, yeah, she's like, they're on like parole for the afternoon to come over here for Thanksgiving. And I'm like, oh, and I check my wallet, my phone, you know, and I'm like, this is totally, now, what I, I wound up loving that, because I, but I didn't know that's what that was, Right? So that's the way you feel sometimes. Like I actually, my mother-in-law's heart was incredible. If you were down and out, strayed cat, didn't have a home, she loved you. It was amazing. I love that about her, but I didn't understand it and couldn't compute it, right? So there's things like that at Grace Church and things like that with your spiritual family where you would look and say, I'm here, I love it, but I need to compute it a little bit. And that's what we wanna talk about here for the, for the next few weeks. So one of the things that's unique about Grace is we would look and we would say, there's parts of who Jesus is, parts of who God is, that really, really drive who we are and what we're like. And, and we talk about that a lot. We'll say, we want you to understand God's heart and God's mind. Why does God do what he does and what's he thinking when he does it? And what, what is, what's God's motivation for calling us to certain things? And what's his thought process behind that. And so one of the things that we, when we think about God's heart and mind, that really, really jumps out to us is this idea. It's in the scripture. It's kind of easy to see in the Bible because it's all over the place. But it's this idea that God has a passion to alter people's lives. And when you look at the scripture, you'll see that again and again. God has a passion to alter people's lives. God wants to change your life. And if you want your life to change, God's like on board with that. He wants to change your life. He wants you to receive the deep and the rich things that you long for. So I'm not talking about you getting everything that you want. I'm not talking about never having a health problem or never have, being unhappy again and getting a private jet and a fancy car and your hair growing back. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about these deep things that long, we long for within our soul that, that are there and are painful and difficult in our life because we're separated from our relationship with God. And God would look at you and he would look at me and he would say, I don't want that for you. I, I want you to be close to me. I want you to be connected with me. I wanna walk with you, kind of journey with you through life. 
I don't want you to be separated from me because the reason you're frustrated and the reason you're going through these things is because of that distance between us. And I know that if you would close that distance between us, that a lot of that pain and that, a lot of that frustration will go away and that's what I want for you, right? So the Bible talks about this a lot. And the Bible says that the reason that there's distance between us and God is because of our sin or our disobedience or our rebellion against God. There's lots of different ways that the Bible would talk about that. And the Bible would look and say, when I sin, when I disobey God, it creates distance between me and God. It separates me from God, right? Now, when we think about sin, we all know that we sin, Right? We don't always call it sin, but we all know that it, we sin. So sin is anything, anytime that I work against the heart and the mind of God for my life. So if God looked at you and said, I want you to live a selfless life, we would look and say, every time that I know that about God, but I choose to be selfish, I'm sinning. If God looked at you and said, I, I want you to live a life of generosity, Every time that I looked at God and said, I'm just not doing that, I'm sinning. If God looked at you and said, I want you to, to live a life fully dedicated to me, every time that I looked at God and said, I know that that's the thing, but I'm not doing it, I'm gonna live a life dedicated to me. The Bible says it's actually our nature that when we are directed to do something, we by nature will tend to go against that and tend to do the exact opposite. And that's a very, very cursory understanding of what sin is. But sin is what separates us from God. So when I look at the painful parts of my life and the frustrating parts of my life and I look at my broken relationships and I look at my dysfunction and I look at my addiction and I look at all these things that distance me from God and from people, at the root of all those things is going to be our struggle with sin. Jesus knows that. That's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he laid his life down. That's why he rose again to overcome and to defeat sin in our lives. And the Bible says that God drew close to us. So when I'm distant from God, it's not because God withdrew himself, it's because I withdrew myself. And God would look at us and say, the further you move yourself away from me, because I'm not moving, the further you move yourself away from me, the more difficult your life is going to be. And I don't want that for you. And by the way, you don't want that for you. That's the parts of your life that you don't like. And when you say, I wish I could change, I wish this could be different, I wish our marriage could be different, our parenting could be different, my relationship with my parents or my friends or my roommates could be different, Jesus would look and say, at the core of all of that is sin and I want to change that with you or for you. And I want to forgive you and cleanse you of it, right? So God wants that. He wants to alter your life. He wants you to be able to be a different person and he wants to go through life and live that life with you. And that's a core part of who he is and it's how he thinks and it's what his heart is for each of us. There's this really interesting part of the Bible in the book of Psalms where the psalmist is kind of talking about this and he kind of walks us through his thinking a little bit and then he walks us into the heart and the mind of God. So this is Psalms chapter 32. He's writing about this. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. 
Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord is cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. He's looking and he's saying to uh, us, he's recording, he's saying, yeah, I, I was frustrated in my sin. I was frustrated in my disobedience. And when I gave that over to God, that frustration, that anxiety, that desperation, that angst turned into joy because God cleansed me of that sin. He cleared my record of guilt. He gave me a redo in life. He let me start over. I was reborn. I was renewed. I was transformed. And the joy that that brought into my life, because I didn't like my life. I didn't like the direction of it. I was frustrated with it. The joy that it brought into my life was this unspeakable and wonderful joy. I quit living my lie and I started living in complete honesty. I just looked and said, I, I'm, I'm faking this. I'm living this facade. I live a, a duplicitous life. I'm one person at work, I'm another person at home, I'm another person at church. I'm one person on the football field, another person in the locker room, another person when I go to small group. I'm living these lives. And what joy it brings me to know that God can clear my record and cleanse me of that and I transform the frustration in my life into a joy in my life because Jesus is changing me. He goes on, he says this, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Sin, sin is like a cancer and it destroys us. It destroys us emotionally. It destroys us spiritually. It even affects us physically. Like, I don't know if you've ever kept a secret it like weighs you down. If you've, ever, if you've ever lived a double life in some area, like it weighs you down. The fear of being found out, the, 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 the ravages of what addiction or dysfunction does to you. If you're, in a, if you're in a broken relationship, you can't sleep, you can't think, you don't wanna eat, or maybe you eat too much, but you, like, you literally like, Ugh, buried in this and I hate it. And that's what he was saying. He's like, I, I would not deal with this. I wouldn't give this over to Christ. And it just was eating me up. I was wasting away. I was buried in it. I hated it. And I didn't want to live this life. And then he realized something about God. He says this, day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. It's really fascinating that he says that. Because when he thought about his relationship with God and his sin, what he's saying is this. When, when I understood the heart of God and that God was with me and pursuing me, he was not throwing me away and disgusted with me. The Bible says later on in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, it says God disciplines those he loves as his children. So the psalmist is saying, your hand of discipline, instead of throwing me away and throwing me to the side, I'm done with you and you piece of junk, like a loving parent, you stayed in the fight with me. You confronted me. You worked with me. You weighed heavy on me because you knew that the path I was going down was gonna destroy me. It's like a cancer. So you fought it with me. And I realized when I confessed my sin, I realized that's what you were doing. How loving are you 
that when I was running away from you, you, you pursued me and you stayed in the gate, engaged in the fight. And then he says this, he goes, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. Like it was eating me up, it was weighing me down, I, w- I lacked joy, I didn't have hope, I was frustrated, the, the relationships are screwed up, my friendships are screwed up, nobody trusts me. Like I, I hate this, but I'm stuck in it. And then I realized that you love me and you were coming after me and that's why like the conviction wouldn't go away. And what I finally did was I just confessed it and I stopped. I stopped hiding my guilt. Stop living life. Have you ever, you ever confessed your secret and just like the weight of the world came off of you? You ever quit faking it and, and let people see who you really are? Like the, the depth of what you show and like the, how good it was? And this is what the psalmist is saying. He's like, I, I finally trusted God. And I just threw that off of me. And it, and it felt so good not to hide anymore. Not to pretend anymore. He goes on, he says, I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. I, I just decided that I was going to tell God what he already knew. That I'm, I'm, I'm a secret keeper, I'm a liar, I'm a double lifer, I'm selfish. I'm a, whatever your sin is, you fill in your blank, there's lots to choose from. I just finally confess it to God. And like a loving father, what he did was he forgave me and he cleansed me. It's unbelievable how awesome that is and how amazing that was that God would did me. Because I just, I just looked and said, why am, I, why am I doing this? And I confessed my rebellion and I received the mercy and the grace from God that he promised me all along. Then he just says this, he describes this. He says this is fascinating, this language. He says, for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. When when you're living in sin, sin makes you very, very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Sin has an edge to it. So I'm gonna do this and maybe I'll do this and what about this and how about that? You're very, very vulnerable. Sin it has a weight to it. I'm hiding this secret and I'm hiding this secret and I'm hiding this secret. If you've ever told lies and been caught in a web of lies, you're so vulnerable to being found out. It literally makes you tense. So he says, when I just confessed all of that and I just admitted to God what he already knew about me, if that all peeled off of me, and instead of feeling vulnerable and scared all the time, I feel like I have a place of rest, a place of peace, and it, it's in Christ. Because of his mercy and his grace, you're like a hiding, you're like the safest place I've ever been. He says, you're my hiding place, you protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. This is what happens in our sin. We don't sing songs of victory to ourselves in our sin. We sing songs of defeat 
and the people around us sing songs of defeat, and the Bible says that the evil one sings songs of defeat. The Bible says he's an accuser. So our songs we sing sound like this. You know what you are. You're just, a, you're just a, an addict. You're just a waste. You know what you are. You're the king of dysfunction junction. You couldn't be a healthy dad if you tried. You know what you are. You're just, you're just a used up person. How, your past, you can't, even, you can't even add up your body count anymore. That's what you are. You know what you are. You're the person who struggles. You know what you are. You're the person. You know what you are. You're the person. We'll sing songs of defeat. And we sing them to ourselves because you look in the mirror and you look at that person and say, you know what I am. And the psalmist says, when I confess my sin and God cleanse me and I was reborn and renewed, the old's gone, the new's come, what God started to do was surround me with songs of victory. You know what you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not junk, there's no such thing. You know what you are. You're a daughter of the most high God. You know what you are. You're a son who's been drafted into the kingdom of God and your father's the king. You know what you are. You are more than a conqueror. You know what you are? You are forgiven. You know what you are? You are loved. And these songs of victory start to be the, the mixtape of our life. And because I'm free of sin and I'm no longer hiding, I'm no longer trying to balance all of this, I can look and sing along. You know what I am? I am. I'm, I'm just a person that received the grace of God, the mercy of God. I'm a person that God cleansed, that's all that I am. And from that place of victory, then the psalmist says this, what God does is he puts me on a different path. The Lord says, I'll guide you along the best pathway for your life and I'll advise you and I'll walk over you. So following Jesus is just that. Following Jesus is looking and saying, I was defined by my sin. I turned from it, or I repented is the word the Bible uses. I repented of my sin. I confessed it. I quit fighting it. I was cleansed of it. I found this hiding place in God because he forgave me, cleansed me of my guilt, and these songs of victory. So I'm now, I'm just following the path that he's following. That's all it means to be a Christ follower. A Christ follower is not somebody who looks and says, I have my act together, I'm better than you. A Christ follower would be the opposite. They would look at you and say, I'm the most screwed up person I know. I, I'm, I'm so, you wouldn't believe how screwed up I am. But I just admitted it. That's, that's just the difference, I just admitted it. And God changed me. He altered me. He let me restart. All a church is, is a bunch of people who gather together and admit that they're all screwed up. You guys are all screwed up. You, you're screwed up, but I know the person you're sitting beside. They're super screwed up. And that's all that it is. It's just looking and saying, I just admit that. I confess it. I need the freedom of it and I found it in Jesus. That's it. And his heart is that. 
and his mind or his logic is that, and, and I'm just letting that play out in my life. And because it's played out in my life and changed my life, I hope and I want it to play out in your life as well. So we would look and say, that's a huge part of who God is. That's a huge part of who God is. And it's kind of like off of that DNA that we would then like start to function or work together in a church. So for example, one of the things I wanted to focus on this weekend was we would look at that and we'd say, that's part of why we have such a heart for people who struggle with addictions. So at Grace, we would look and say, uh, if you're struggling with an addiction, you're a person that we want to be here and that we love and that you're a part of our family because we're all struggling. You just have a certain type of addiction. I have another type of addiction. And we would take that then corporately and we would have like things to help people with that. So for instance, we have a program that called Celebrate Recovery. And you can go to the website, you can look it up. Celebrate Recovery is for people who are struggling with addictions, drug, alcohol, pornography, sugar, like whatever your addiction is. And you can go and there's a bunch of people who are like, hey, welcome to the, welcome to the Screwed Up People Club. Grace Church, everybody gets to come here. And you help each other see who you are in Christ and sing these songs of victory over each other because we believe that Jesus can change you. We have another group called uh, Families Facing Addiction. And that's for parents, grandparents, siblings, children of families who are family members of somebody who's an addict. And we looked and said, you, you need a special thing. Like you need a special support group. So we would create that because we believe God wants to change people. He wants to change you. He wants to change the person that you love who's struggling with an addiction. And so that would be like a logical outcome for us as we would look for things. One of the things I wanted to show you this weekend is, is a, a few years ago, we got involved in something through All In, All Out. If you've been here for a while, you're familiar with that, that title, All In, All Out. And in All In, All Out, we were looking and we were talking about what the needs were in our community. And we were looking at addictions. In fact, we, we know that addiction shows up in a unique way in Northeast Ohio. In fact, let's just do a, a survey real quick. If you or somebody you know or love or somebody in your family struggles with alcohol or drug addictions, if it directly affects you, just raise your hand real quick. Directly affects you, right? So most of us. So we looked at that. We're like, man, what can, what can we as a church family try to do to be a part of that? And we looked for all kinds of uh, ideas and kind of looked at things and, and we quickly realized that the best way to help someone overcome that drug or alcohol addiction is residential treatment that's Christ-centered. And so we were looking around Northeast Ohio and we realized there's not, that, that really doesn't exist. Where you would go someplace, you could live someplace and you would be discipled in the person of Jesus, you would be given like the emotional counseling support that you need, and you would, be, you would be given a chance to start over because that's what Jesus loves to do. He loves to alter people's lives. And so four or five years ago, we are looking for that and we came across something that we now call Restore. And I actually asked Dan Gregory to come up and join me. Dan is the director of Restore. 
I wanted you to meet him, and I wanted you to just hear a little bit about how this, this heart of God plays out in that, that setting of Restore. So Dan, welcome. Thank you. Good to see you. And um, tell us just a little bit about what Restore is, how it became what it is, and what your passion is behind it. Well, thanks. And, and let me first say I'm so grateful uh, to this church body for all you have done for Restore, uh, both financially, the volunteers. Um, we, we exist primarily because of you. And, and there's an early conversation I had with Jeff that I thought of just yesterday as uh, we were going through this. And I remember saying, Jeff, as we develop this, this structure of Restore, it's so important that the men get involved in a local church. Because Restore is a place they come, it's a respite, where they come for a year, a little less, a little more, um, but the local church is forever. So we want to plug them into a local church. Can that local church be here? And, and I remember your response at the time. You said, uh, not only can you come, you're welcome. And, and you have welcomed us with open arms. Our, our guys normally come here on Saturday nights. Um, they go to Grace East this morning. They're there now. Um, they serve. They, they, they park cars. They, they're, they're, uh, they're greeters. And we're just so grateful for all you've done. But for me personally, when you asked, you know, has anybody had addiction in their family, my hand went up. So it hit our family hard. And um, like many of you, I was sort of ignorant as to the extent of the problem, you know, years ago, five years ago. None of us are now. We read about it in the paper. Um, and I just thought there'd be a Christ-centered, biblically-based solution for this problem, and there simply wasn't. And so we started out saying, what does the Lord want us to do? How does the church run into the fire, not away from it? And can we truly create a culture and an organization around the hope and healing of Jesus Christ and what he can do in the lives of men? And that's how Restore started. I remember... Um down at Norton when we first met our Norton campus. We had a meeting down there and we had been looking for, you know, we knew this was a problem. Nobody had a solution, like nothing was working. And we were kind of looking and looking. I remember when Dan came in and presented the, the concept of Restore, I remember very specifically thinking, he's onto something. Like that, that can work. And that can work and it, it makes sense and it's something that we can, we can get behind as a church. How, how does Restore work? Like if somebody was going to, to be a part of it or they were going to go there and, and seek recovery, how, how does that play out in their lives? Well, I mean, it's really a, a built around a year-long program, and it's free to the men that come. So we, we don't take government money. We're not bound by regulation. We do what's best for the men. And how do we bring a man into an experience with Jesus Christ? And so they come for that first month. We just love on these guys. We just tell them to breathe. And they spend that, that first month really uh, getting an understanding of their addiction, understanding what God wants for their lives. Then they begin working. There's a, there's a program we have where we partner with, with people in the community organizations. So the men start working. They start receiving paychecks. They start savings, saving money. <clears throat> We then double that money when they graduate, so a man can come to Restore. It costs nothing to come except a willing heart, and they can leave with savings and the ability to really transform their life and then take that out into the community as they begin to live a new life. 
And it's a huge thing. And, and uh, if you were here a few, uh, four or five years ago, we did a vision campaign. We raised uh, over a million dollars to invest in, to restore, because we knew that if we could build the building and not have a mortgage on it, we could make this free. Right. So, so there, there is no financial obstacle for these men to be involved in this process. And I love that saying, they just need a willing heart. You're not court ordered to go there. You're not, you know, you don't get arrested if you leave. You can come and go if you want. But if you want a second chance and you want to rebuild your life, we, we try to give you every tool that we can give you to, to make mm -hmm. that happen. Is it working? You know, it's amazing. Uh, and I, I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter three when he says um, that you can experience the love of Christ though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete in all the fullness and power in God. And that's what we offer. We, we offer that ability. It, it's, it's not just about behavior modification or, or, or certain things you do or a list of things you gotta stop doing. It's understanding so deeply the love of Christ that it transforms our hearts and that is what impacts our behavior. And just to see the guys light up, to see a guy come in looking, like you mentioned in your message, just looking so um, beaten down and, and, and with no hope and seeing the laughter come back, seeing the sparkle in the eyes return, seeing a, really them beginning to dream again about what life could be, be seeing them become Christians, get, get baptized, families coming back together. It's not without its challenges, but it, it's an amazing ministry to be involved in. It's a powerful thing, guys, it really is. And, and, and we see men transform there, like you said, the families, the families, and that's part of where the church is so important because they can connect there at the church and, and uh, the family being rooted within a body of believers who all know that they're screwed up, right? And receiving grace and forgiveness and relationship there. Maybe they never even had before. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful thing. What's next for Restore? So we, in 2020, we got the Restore House open. It's functioning. We're working. King, it's a process, right? Yep. It's a learning curve. Um, so we're working all that out. But the need is so mammoth. What's the next thing we're shooting at? Well, one is how do we expand this um, from the men into the men's families, right? And that's really where the church body comes in. So how do we really surround those church families and give them the hope and love that they need as they deal with their loved one in addiction? Um, but the biggest question um, that I get, the most frequent question, is what about women? I mean, there's such a need because this has touched everybody. Uh, well, what, what's the solution for women? And, and uh, I think we're ready to tackle that. So we were blessed to have uh, really three amazing uh, ladies from this campus come and, and speak with us about a particular need about how we could get into the ministry of helping women in addiction. And uh, we are running down that path. And uh, it's, it's a little daunting, but we know uh, God's a big God. And, uh, and he will meet us at our darkest places, um, even in the world of drug and alcohol addiction. So we're excited. It's super exciting that uh, five years ago or so when uh, Dan first presented the idea of Restore to me, I, th I remember thinking, I think that could work. And when we looked at this other idea, it's a proposal, it's an idea that we're working on right now. I, I read that and I was like, I think we're onto something here. 
I think this is, a, this is a place for us to step in that we can be effective and that we can bring this, this hope to other people. Dan, thanks for your heart. Thanks for your leadership. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. <laughs> so what happens, what happens is God changes you, right? God changes you. And you look, I look, and say, I, I, can, I confess it. I'm a sinner. I'm disobedient. I'm broken, right? I quit living the lie. I allow Christ to forgive me, change me, free me from my guilt. And then Jesus would look and say, all I want in return from that is I want you, I don't want, I don't want your money, uh, I, I don't want, you don't have to come to church every week. You're allowed to miss once in a while. Like, I, I, that's not what I want from you. What I want from you and in return for what I've done from you, for you is I want you to do that for other people who are looking for what you were looking for. I want you to love others as you have been loved. And I want you to forgive others as you have been forgiven. There's this other great passage in, in, uh, in Psalms, different part, chapter 82, says this. This is God's heart. He says, listen, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of God. And God would, or from the hand of the wicked. God would look at you if you are a person who said, Jesus, change me, save me, forgive me, cleanse me. If you're that person, God would look at you and say, I want you to do that. I want you to do that. And if there was ever a group of people who could understand what that is, it's those of us who have confessed our sin and said, Jesus, change me. Because we would look and say, I, I know how to do this because this was done for me. This is what Christ did for me. He gave justice to me when I was weak and I was fatherless. He made me right with him. He helped me he changed me. I could not do that. There was no hope. We were broken. It was over. I had relapsed. I'm stuck in it. I cannot change. And God looked at you and said, you are weak and you are fatherless. Nobody's defending you. Nobody's protecting you. Nobody's helping you. Jesus says, I will step into that for you. And when I confessed my sin and Jesus stepped in, he's like, come here, I'm your hiding place. Let me tell you who you really are. And let's, let's deprogram these lies that you've lived in your whole life. I did that for you. Jesus looked at you and he said, I wanna maintain the right of the afflicted and destitute. What that means is this. It means that you never throw people away. <clears throat> you never throw people away. You are not junk you are not done. Your life is not spent at 22 because you screwed up. You never throw people away because God will look and say, no, you, you maintain the dignity of that. That is not an addict. That's not a junkie. That's not a, a person who blew their life up. That's not somebody who screwed up. That's not somebody I'm done with. That is a person who I fearfully and wonderfully made, who I gave my life for, who I came to help and to rescue. 
There, there is never a time when you look and say, I'm done with them. They may look at Jesus and say, I'm done with you. But he wishes that none would perish, the Bible says. He never looks and says, I'm done with you. And he pursues and he, he disciplines and he fights for and he contends for. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Like you maintain that because Christ maintained that with you. And then he rescued the weak and the needy. If you could get rid of the things in your life that drive you nuts, you would have got rid of them a long time ago. If you could have made your marriage be healthy on your own, it would be healthy. If you could have broken your own addictions, you would have broken them. If you could love people the way that you know that you should and wish that you could, you would have done it by now. If you could release the bitterness of your childhood and move on, you would have moved on. If you could heal the pain and the wounds of your life, you would have healed them and been a healthy person, but you can't. And Jesus knew that, and so he came to your rescue, because he can. Because he can. And when you were weak and you were needy, he came after you. And everybody who's looked and said, the joy of being free of my lies and the joy of being free of my past and the joy of being forgiven and cleansed of my rebellion against God is the greatest joy that I have in my life. Everybody who knows that and believes that has experienced this and Jesus will just look at you and he would say, I don't, I'm not asking you to go to church five times a week. I'm not asking you to write the biggest check you've ever written. I'm not asking you to give the pastor a private jet. That's all nonsense. What I'm asking you to do is do this that has been done unto you. And individually, you give justice and you step in for the fatherless. Nobody's sticking up for them. So the people of God stick up for them. You maintain, you don't throw people away. Nobody values them, but the people of God value them. And you rescue, nobody's trying to do that, but the people of God try to do that. And then you do that individually, and then a church is a sum total of its individual parts. We wind up doing that corporately. And it drives who we are as a family. And then God opens specific things like restore is like a, just a specific way to, file, to, to, to funnel that energy. We look and say, well, we can do that. We can help with that. We can be a part of that. And God uses that. And he transforms people's lives. And he transforms your life in the process. You can never, ever get used to the grace and the power of God. Because God can change you. And like, I, I like need you to believe that. I need you to believe that. God can change you. You do not have to live in the cycles of brokenness that all of us live in. God can change you. He can break the chains. He can, he can help you not be the one who repeats the cycle. He can change you. It's what he does. And in his path, he looks at you and says, I, I'm in. 
I'm in. I'm all in. The distance between you and me is you, not me. And the minute that you say, finally, I'm done. Jesus looks at you and says, I am, I'm right here. I'm right here. Come here and rest. Come here and hide. Come here and let me tell you who you really are. And a powerful God loves you in a powerful way. And that power is the only hope of salvation and it's the only hope of change. And I want you to have that. Jesus wants you to have that. And when you have that, we have that. And when we have that, we make that an offer of hope to the world that is hopeless. See how it works? And that's, that's who our God is. That is his heart and that is his mind, okay? All right. The band's gonna come out. They gotta move the stage around here a little bit, but would you, would you just pray with me for a minute as they settle in? Jesus, thank you that you give yourself to us in this way. It's all you, God. You are the one who saves. You are the one who cleanses. You are the one who rebuilds. You are the one who gives mercy. You are the one who gives grace. You are the one who transforms. We are the recipients of all of that. And Jesus, help us to, to never become numb to that. Help us to be awestruck by it that you would love us in our rebellion, in our disobedience, in our sin, that we can have joy by being honest, by confessing, by turning. Jesus, I pray for those right now that are hiding. They're living a secret, they're living a lie. Would you, through the, your Holy Spirit, give them a confidence and a courage that you will love them and so will your people? And will you draw them to yourself? God, I pray right now for the one that's living in rebellion. They, they have heard everything I said their whole life but they're living in rebellion against you. God, would you, through your spirit, would you satisfy the cravings that they're chasing and let them have fulfillment and life in you? And God, I pray for the ones who are hurting. They, they hate it. They hate the dysfunction, they hate the addiction, and they feel helpless. They become functional in their dysfunction. And would you, through your Holy Spirit right now, God, give them hope. They can be different. They can be free. God, in these still moments, would you just stir among us and draw us to yourself?